we'll begin a new series in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Very excited about that. But let's ask God's help for his blessing as we open up his holy word and see what he has for us today. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and blessing in our life. And Lord, again, we thank you and praise you for Carol, for uh, the grace in her life, the transformation in her life. God, I just pray now that you would help her grow. And uh, Lord, just let her be loved on by this church family. And Lord, thank you so much for sending her our way. We praise you for your grace, for your goodness. Help us now as we look at your word, sanctify your people, draw sinners to repentance, do your work in however way you please, in your name, amen. Last week we saw that the Apostle Paul was on a ship. He's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and he's bound for Rome. He's a prisoner on this ship and he has appealed as a Roman citizen to have his case tried by Caesar. There's other people on this boat. They're also prisoners and Roman soldiers and people who were just bringing grain from Africa. And they're all fearing for their lives. As we saw the last couple weeks, the raging sea and the storms on the Mediterranean are fierce. Matter of fact, it's a storm that's lasted now nearly two weeks of rough seas and rough weather. So much so that they were fearing for their lives. Last week we saw that Paul nor the people on the boat had eaten for 14 days. Being tossed to and fro, their stomachs were weak and they were very scared. Of course, we know that Paul had received a message from an angel. Promising him from God that nobody on the ship would die. That they would make it to Rome. And it's with these words that Paul encouraged his shipmates. And he told them to take and eat. You will not perish. And we saw the beautiful truth in that as we observed the Lord's table last Sunday. And how we too need to take and eat. And remind ourselves that we will not perish. For the goodness of God is with us. The one thing that Paul promised from God again is that they would not die. Even though it looked very likely. But they will be shipwrecked. Now, how do you die and not be shipwrecked in the middle of a hurricane in the middle of the sea? Let's see what happens. Acts chapter 27, we're going to begin in verse 39. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that had tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made it for the beach. So when the daylight broke, they noticed land. That's good news in the middle of the ocean during a storm. You want to get to land for safety. But it's not so much good news because if they don't slow down, they're going to crash. Which is what Paul told them was going to happen And so they let go of the anchors, they let go of the rudders, and they're trying to aim for the beach. They see a bay with a beach, and they figure that's the safest place to crash into. However, look at verse 41. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. 
On their way to the beach, they hit a big reef. And he gets stuck. The front of the boat gets stuck there. And meanwhile, the surf is so rough that it begins to break apart the back of the ship. This is, again, a picture. I don't think we can really picture this great storm they're in and the danger that they find themselves in. They only know one thing. If we don't get off this boat right now, we are all going to die. So the soldiers, verse 42, they, their plan was to kill the prisoners. Here's Roman soldiers on this boat. They're going to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The reason the soldiers planned to kill these prisoners was because under Roman law, if you lost a prisoner and they escaped from you, you would receive whatever sentence they had or face death. So, they'd rather kill them than face the judgment themselves from their superiors. And so if we kill the prisoners now, we can't say that they escaped and we'll be okay. However, Julius, the Roman centurion who's in charge of all these soldiers, stops that plan and he keeps that from happening. And Luke tells us the reasoning for that was because he wanted to save Paul. Why? We're not exactly sure why. But now he's been with Paul for some time on this ship. Remember, they left from Caesarea, boarded for Rome. It's some time has gone on, several weeks at least, has gone on during this time. And Paul has brought great encouragement to them. Matter of fact, Paul was the one who told them, we shouldn't set sail from Fair Havens because we're going to get into trouble. And of course, they didn't listen to Paul and they got into trouble. So if anything, the, Paul has earned the respect of the Roman centurion and has seen that Paul has tried to calm things down. He's not tried to cause havoc. And he's, he's earned the respect. I, I'm sure Paul and Julius have had some gospel conversations on this ship as well. So he wants to save Paul. So he orders, don't kill any of them. And if you could swim, jump overboard now and swim to land. Sounds like a great plan, right? In the middle of a raging sea that's breaking apart a ship. And anyone else, you could jump overboard. And if you can't swim, grab onto whatever you can and float to the shore. Again, it sounds like a plan doomed for failure. However, we know what the promise of God is. Paul had just told them the night before, not a hair on your head will be in danger. My God, the God I worship, has promised to get not only me, but all of us to Rome. Maybe Julius is finally starting to listen to Paul. Okay, maybe this Paul has something. If we're not all going to die, jump overboard. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Paul's promise from God is true. And not a one of them drown. And you got to remember the people on this boat. They're, like we said, they're prisoners. So they're in trouble for something. Of course, Paul's only in trouble for preaching Christ. But the other people on their boat, I'm sure there was murderers and thieves 
and other political zealots that tried to overthrow, overthrow the empire? Why would God have mercy on any of them? Why would God save all of them? Why do all of them make it to land? Because it's really a miracle that they did. Especially the ones who couldn't swim. And were grabbing on for dear life for whatever they could to get to the safety of the shore. And this is a really legitimate question. But we understand it through the lens that it is God who is protecting everyone on board to keep his word secure. When God makes a promise, you can bank on it. God's word will never return empty. God does not lie. He cannot lie. He's not like a man. He will do everything he says. And he has promised the safety of every single man on this boat. Whether they are a criminal or an apostle. And we have to understand the why. We ask, why does he do this? Of course, he keeps his word. He's made a promise. But why does he make this promise to save all of them? God didn't have to save any of them. He could have just saved Paul to get him to Rome. But no. Why does God do what he does? And it's this principle we see throughout the entire scripture. And it's one that once you grab a hold of, will change your life. Because we are born with the propensity to believe that God is for me. That I'm number one. I'm the center of the universe. Maybe you don't think you act that way, but I bet you know someone who does in your life. And I'm sure someone could say that about you in some way or fashion. However... What we see in the scriptures is that God doesn't do things for the sake of mankind. We only benefit from the truth that, not, that God is for God. God is a God who glories in his name and does things for the sake of his name. He seeks his glory. And it's by a God who seeks the glory of himself that we who fear him can rejoice because all things work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And for those, who fe- for those who reject him, for those who hate him, then God is gloried in his pursuit of judgment and of wrath and being terrifying in his judgments. God is not rescuing these men or promising these men rescue because he feels pity for them. He's promising these men rescue because he will be glorified by their rescue. That's why. God is bringing them safely to Rome to be with Paul so that Paul can glory in God's promises that this is what God has said and this is exactly what happened. You don't understand what we've been through in the last little few weeks on this ship. And now there is no more ship. It's being tossed and broken up in the surf there. God is glorified by the shipwreck. God planned the shipwreck. God caused the shipwreck. It is God who led the ship to this island. And we must ask ourselves, why? And the answer is always, for the glory of his name. And that is true of everything in our lives, friends. Everything that happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, God will be glorified somehow, some way, through it all. Maybe you're having a hard time understanding how God being glorified through a shipwreck. Well, let's just keep reading. Maybe we'll know. 
But how God glories in himself is by making his name known. We see this throughout the Bible again and again. God will never fail to glorify himself. Men may fail, men may fall short, but God never does. And it's through this worship of God that makes the universe tick. It's what holds the universe together. If God wasn't for God, everything would fall apart. The reason distant galaxies are the way they are and the way molecules and DNA comes together is for the glory of God's name and no other. He holds it all together by the power of his might. He cannot deny himself. He makes his name known. Whether that be through promises of salvation or through promises of judgment. Again, this is the truth of the scriptures. Let me show you. Let me, let me just show you some verses. We're going to go through these quickly, so keep up. Verses are on the screen. In Exodus, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, we see this repeatedly. That when God comes to people, he desires to make his name known for his glory. And one way or another, through making his name known, his purpose is for the good of his people and the judgment of his enemies. Let me show you. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. That God is for God. Here he's talking to Isaiah, telling Isaiah, why didn't I destroy Israel when I, ha- when I should have? Remember, Israel fors- forsook God time and time again. God had mercy on them again and again. God gave grace to them again and again. And Israel just continued to worship other false Idols, gods, lowercase g, gods, the peoples of the land. God should have destroyed them. But he says in Isaiah 48, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Why didn't God destroy Israel? For the glory of his name. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake. When God says something once, you better listen. When he repeats himself, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. The reason he didn't destroy Israel is because he would not have been glorified by doing that because he, God would have given up on them and he made a promise to his covenant people. Let's think back to when Israel is in Egypt and he's telling Moses to go get my people. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Here's promises of salvation. Why? Why did God save them? For the glory of his name, to make his name known. Look, Exodus 6, 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. When I get you out of here, you will know who I am, and you will glory in me. When I... Rescue you from your slavery from these people. Look at Exodus 8.22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. So that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. 
Yeah, the flies and some of the other plagues did not affect the Israelites. And God told Moses to tell his people that. So that when all the Egyptians are suffering these plagues, but you're not, you will know what? I am the Lord and you will glory in me. Exodus 7, 5. Here's God making himself known in judgment by making his name known. Exodus 7, 5, the Egyptians shall know what? That I am the Lord. And by the way, you see that all capitalized, capital L-O-R-D. That in the Hebrew is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. My people will know that I am the covenant God of Abraham when, when I bring judgment on the Egyptians. Exodus 14, 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know what? I am the Lord. Think about this. After 10 times of Pharaoh saying, no, we're not going to let them go. No, we're not going to let them go. Uh, Nine times. On the 10th time, finally, Pharaoh says, fine, go. And he lets them go. God softens his heart to let them go. So the Israelites go. They get to the Red Sea. What does God do? He hardens Pharaoh's heart again and say, go get them. And why does God do this? I will glory over Pharaoh. Why? Because the Egyptians will know that I am God over Pharaoh. They will know who I am. God makes his name known through judgment. And Ezekiel. Oh, this statement, they will know that I am the Lord, is all over Ezekiel. Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Again, we see that God desires to make his name known, whether it's through promise of salvation or judgment. God never fails to get glory. And we see this at the cross. Here's Jesus, beaten, torn, bloody, for us. He lifts up his voice and cries and gives up his spirit, and he dies. An earthquake happens. Darkness happens. And there's a Roman centurion sitting at the foot of the cross. After everyone just observed the wrath of God being poured out on God the Son. In judgment. What is the conclusion that the centurion arrives to? When the centurion and those who were with them keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said truly this was what? The Son of God. Here's God glorifying himself by making his name known. And this centurion realized what everyone there should have known. God is God. This is the Son of God. It's God making his name known. God makes his name known through your life, friends. Through the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurtful, the painful. God makes his glory known. And this is the promise we have as believers. And no matter what happens, all things work together for good. That's just not a verse to stick on a coffee cup and 
convince yourself falsely of a wonderful life that you have coming to you, but a good God in the vents of a horrible life that may come to you. Because no one has promised a promise, promise a life of ease and of comfort and of happiness. But we have a God who will walk through it with us no matter what happens to us. Amen. So why did God save these prisoners? <laughs> You go throughout the entire scriptures. You connect the dots. It's always the same reason. He is glorified in saving them. One, his promises will be understood by all the men in those boats. This is what Paul said would happen. And it did when they land in Rome. And secondly, it's about what's about to happen on the place that they shipwrecked. And that's the events of chapter 28. Let's go to verse 1 of the final chapter of the book of Acts. Luke writes, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. They made it. Of course they did. Every single one of them. Just like Paul said. In the ancient world, this island was called Mylita. Today it's called Malta. Here's a map of it. First, let's give you the big map overall of where this shipwreck journey has taken them you can see that Paul has left from Caesarea where he was being held prisoner for two years and they finally ship him to Rome this let's zoom in on the island of Malta it's there is about 60 miles south of Sicily this is the island where they shipwreck lost and tossed into sea how did they get there how did they even stay on the right track in spite of that storm well, the providence and sovereignty of God, of course. Why else would they crash there? God has a purpose for them crashing there. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But this is where they crash, the island of Malta. Nothing happens by accident. Look at verse 2. The native people there showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. Because it had begun to rain and was cold Interesting, the natives of the island don't see Paul and his whole crew of prisoners and Roman centurions as a threat. They welcome them kindly with great generosity. Luke says, unusual kindness. Like, they shouldn't have been kind to us. Why were they kind to us? With the grace of God, the sovereignty of God. God is doing something here. It's so cold, they say, hey, let's make you a fire. You guys have been wet. And by the way, this is November middle of the winter this is the most dangerous time to sail they should never have set sail they're cold they're wet they're hungry unusual kindness sit down by the fire warm up look at verse three when paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand they said to one another no doubt this man is a murderer Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So here's Paul. You know, Paul is a servant, man. He's not there for other people to serve him and, hey, I'm getting cold. Why don't you go get more wood? I'm the Apostle Paul. No, he went up and got the wood. He went up and gathered some sticks for the fire, knowing that the fire was dwindling down. They need some more heat. 
And as he brings the wood to the fire, he puts it in the fire. There was a poisonous snake in there. And the poisonous snake here, you know, feels the fire, jumps out, latches onto Paul's hand, bites him, and is just hanging there. Everyone looks at him with great awe and shock. Like, what's going to happen? They're very familiar, I'm sure, with this snake on this island. And Paul just shakes it off and he goes into the fire. And they're like, this guy escaped a shipwreck. This guy escaped a hurricane. He's dead now. There's no way that justice will allow him to escape. Now, notice that word justice. Look at that word again in verse 4. Justice is capitalized there. It's not justice like justice we would think of. It's the name of a Greek god, justice. Tells you who these people worshipped. They worshipped the pantheon of Greek gods. Justice was supposedly the daughter of Zeus. Justice will not let this man live. He was supposed to die out there. He got lucky. Right? We know there's no such thing as luck, right? He got lucky, but he is not going to live now. He's going to drop down then. So they waited. They grabbed their popcorn and they waited. And they watched him. And they're like, nothing's happening to this guy. He's not swelling up. He's not dropping down dead. He must be a god. He must be a god. So, so interesting. Paul, uh, Luke tells this story through their eyes. And he doesn't tell us anything that Paul says to them. Very interesting. But if you know the Apostle Paul, if you have read anything in the book of Acts, he doesn't waste any gospel opportunities, does he? The last time he was called to God was in Acts chapter 14. They said that Jupiter had come down to them, remember? Because Paul had healed people. And Paul says, I am no God, I'm a man like you. Now, interestingly, Luke doesn't tell us what he writes, but he must have said something to them. He must have proclaimed and shared the gospel with them. And I think there's evidence of this later, and I'll show you in just a bit. But what would Paul have said? You waiting for me to drop dead? I'm not dropping dead. Let me tell you why. I'm no God, but my God, the God I worship, the true God, the living God, has promised that I'm not going to die here. He's promised that me and all these men that came to your island, we're going to Rome. Shake it off in the fire. I'll be all good, guys. Don't worry about it. And there's no doubt that Paul, in my mind, shared Christ with these men and making known the promises of God. Why does God bring Paul here? To make his name known. To who? To the Maltese people. People who worship the goddess Justice who needed to know the true and living God was not justice or Zeus, but the God of Israel, the true God of the universe, who has a son who is also God, part of the Holy Trinity, three in one, and he has come to die for them because they are under the wrath of Almighty God. And if they believe and repent of their sins, they can be saved. There's no way you can convince me that Paul didn't say that. Luke is telling the story through their eyes. And he continues. He jumps to verse 7. Look what happens next. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. 
who received us and entertained us. Hospitality for three days. It happened that the father of Publius laid sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So right next to these people, not nearby, very close by in the neighborhood, there was a guy named Publius, and he was obviously the chief of this whole island, the chief of the whole place, the man in charge, the mayor, the governor, whatever you want to say, of these native people. And his father had dysentery, which is a which is a, a, a gastro disease. Looking at the history books and the times of that, it was very common in the first century to die from dysentery, especially on the island that they were on of Malta, where goat's milk, which they were commonly drank, contained dangerous bacteria and microbes. And when ingested, caused dysentery and caused lots of death in the first century. So Paul encounters this man. He lays his hand on him and heals him. Word gets out. The rest of the island comes. Probably everyone else with dysentery or everyone else with other problems. They come. Paul prays for them and everyone is healed. Now remember, we have seen throughout the book of Acts, now through 28 chapters, what is the purpose of miracles in the book of Acts? It is always, always to confirm the authentic, authentic message of the messenger. It's to always proclaim that the message that the apostles just preached is true, and this is the proof, because God has now given us this miracle. The miracle is not for show or for entertainment or just for compassion for the Maltese people. The purpose of miracles always has been for the authenticity of the messenger, which tells you what? There's more here than Luke isn't telling us. Luke is writing to us just the events of what has happened to these people. But in between the lines, I can guarantee you, Paul is preaching Christ. Paul is sharing the glories of salvation and calling people to repentance. And now the miracles come to authenticate Paul because they don't know who he is. I mean, these are Gentile heathen people on some island south of Italy, south of Sicily. But when they see these miracles and that Paul prays and all this sickness goes away, hey, can I hear more about what you say? Because if you can do that and you're true about that, then I need to hear about this Jesus. Because if you're true about that and right about that, you've got to be true about that. That's the purpose of miracles and signs and wonders in the New Testament and the book of Acts. And so this man is healed through Paul. The other people on the island are healed and cured. Amazing. They're with him three days. And in total, they're with him three months. We're going to see that in just a few verses. Three months. Why do they say they're three months? Because they're not sailing anymore until everything comes down. And that usually didn't happen until winter was over and that type part of the world in February. We're going to stay right here. And Paul says, I don't got any problem with that. I got lots to tell you. I got lots to show you. There's a lot more where that came from. 
Let me tell you about my Jesus. Why does God cause this shipwreck? Why did God just bring them to Rome? Because God wants to be glorified on the island of Malta. Through a shipwreck, through a snake bite, you better believe it. God will glorify himself in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things we wish would never have happened. Can God be glorified through storms? You better believe it. Last week, our heart was broken over the events of what happened in Southwest Florida. Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, Cape Coral, Punta Gorda, Port Charlotte, all those areas in Southwest Florida that were just devastated by Hurricane Ian. Do you know the glorious stories that are coming from that now? How churches are coming together, providing food and shelter, providing places for people to come in, serving people. Do you know the gospel conversations that has led to? Do you think that even through a hurricane that God wants to make his name known? You better believe it. Why? Because God is for God. God wants people to know him through promise of salvation or fear of judgment. This is why we can put our heads on our pillows tonight and go to sleep in perfect peace because God is in control. That doesn't mean everything works out perfectly from our perspective, but it means that in the end, it will. There is no wasted heart breaks. There is no wasted tears. God is the God of glory, and he uses all things for the praise of his name. And I think already there are people who are being ministered to, people who are being reached, who would never have been able to have been reached unless this has come upon them. We can't explain it. We don't know why. You could ask why all day long. Why did it come there instead of here? We don't know. But we do know if a future storm comes here, and we better be ready for it, that God will be glorified in Bradenton. That God will seek for people to know his name in Bradenton. In church, we better be ready to make him known. Hmm. This is why God brings him here. He meets Publius. He meets all these people. And of course, this is not in the scripture, but according to church tradition, through church history, there was a church started on the island of Malta. And a name of the first pastor came out. And guess what his name is? Publius. Again, that's not Bible. I'm not saying this is true. Church history, church tradition tells us that Publius became one of the first elders in the church of Malta. God is making himself known. They also honored us greatly. Verse 10, look at this. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. I mean, these are not strangers anymore, are they? They're not strangers. They have come to love Paul and Luke. They gave us whatever we wanted, everything we needed. They honored us greatly. I wish Paul, Luke would give us a little bit more detail, but I think you read behind the lines, you see exactly what happened. 
Look at verse 11. After three months, they were there for three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. This is the statue on the front of the boat. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putuli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers were there. And when they heard about us, they came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Let's bring up that map again of the island of Malta. Here you see the remaining path. They leave Malta after three months. They go to Syracuse. They go to Regium, south of Italy. From, south, from there they go to Petulia. And they go to three taverns and they land in Rome. Just as God had promised. And when he set foot in Rome, he took courage. Oh, thank you, God. Your word is true. Your word is true, God. Oh, God, glorify your name in now, here. All these men that came with us, Lord, glorify your name. Save Julius. Save the Roman centurion. We're not told, but maybe he did get saved. You know why? Because when he gets to Rome, Paul's a prisoner, and he's allowed to stay by himself with one soldier guarding him. You don't think that was set up by Julius? I know this guy. He's okay. If you don't believe God is sovereign, friends, I don't know how to convince you any other way. All this does not happen without the working of a faithful God who acts for the glory of his name, which results in our good. Even if that means our death. Because death, Christian, is not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is not to die and wake up in the arms of Jesus. Oh, God is so good. They make it all the way to Rome. And now he awaits Caesar. He awaits Caesar. But God isn't done yet with Paul. Because now that he's in Rome, he's under house arrest. That's the best way to explain it. He's not in a prison somewhere. He's under house arrest, loosely guarded by one Roman soldier. And now Paul starts sharing Christ in Rome. And the Jewish people hear about him there and they come to him for Bible studies. And Paul shares the Messiah with them and convincing them from the law and the prophets that Jesus is the Christ. And that happens for two more years until his trial. 
all of this. All of it. Isn't Acts glorious? Oh, I'm so sad that next week is the last week. It's such an amazing book. I love it. We see God's promises come true. We see God's sovereignty. And from the very beginning of this, if you go back to the sermon number one in this series, we said one thing. The book of Acts is all about the gospel bearing fruit and it bears fruit wherever it goes. It bears fruit in Jerusalem. It bears fruit in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Malta. And now the gospel will bear fruit in the headquarters of the Roman Empire, in Caesar's backyard. God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Take courage, church, that you have a sovereign God. Take courage, church, that God acts for God, for the glory of his name. That God isn't for your glory, he's for his. And as a result of God being for his glory, we are benefactors of that. Be sanctified in that truth. May the Lord grow you, Christian. But perhaps you're here and you're not a believer You don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Let me plead with you today, as Paul would have done to Publius. I like to say that name. Publius. And to the other people on Malta. That this snake who bit me is under the control of a sovereign God. This snake is nothing. There was another snake in the beginning of everything to try to thwart God's purposes and promises. But as a result of that, he thought he was going to overthrow God, Satan, by deceiving Adam and Eve, but he didn't. God didn't stop Adam and Eve from sinning. They sinned. And through their sin, God glorified himself all the more by sending a Savior to save the children of Adam and Eve Because that glorifies God more than even stopping them from doing what they did. To send his son to become the perfect sacrifice on that cross. To take the wrath of his holiness upon him. So that all who believe in him will be saved. May you know today, if you're not a Christian, that one day you will have to stand before this holy God. And you may play games with him today. You may ignore him today. You may say, ah, whatever. This is a waste of time. I was dragged here by someone. May you know today that you will give an account to someone. And unless you believe and repent of your sins, you will perish. This is the truth, my friends. But there's hope and forgiveness and peace to be found only in Jesus Christ. He has died for your sins. He has taken your punishment so that when you place your faith on him, there is nothing on your record any longer. It's all forgiven. It's all paid for. And now you're made new. This is what we illustrated this morning with Carol. That as Jesus died and was buried and risen again, so Carol went into the water symbolizing the gospel. That she also, her old life is now dead and buried and she comes out of that water a new person. Symbolizing what's happened to her inside. 
This is the purpose and truth of the gospel. And this is what I plead with you to know and understand. May God open your eyes and call you to this truth. May you know him today. I'd love to share with you more one-on-one and how you can know Christ in a saving way. Please don't delay it. Nobody has promised tomorrow. Make this truth certain and call upon Christ to save you. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this glorious book of Acts. We have one more sermon to go in it. Lord, how you've built your church through your sovereign hand, through the Apostle Paul, through shipwrecks and snake bites and ministering to native people suffering from dysentery. Lord, as you have made your glory known in Malta, make your glory known here. Make your name known that people will know that you are the Lord and that there is no other living and true God but you. And that you have sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior. That they would believe in him and trust him. Not in their own works and own righteousness. But that they would repent of their sins and believe in him wholly and truly and fully. Knowing that it's only by grace through faith they can be saved. Help us now God. I am powerless to do anything from at any point of this sermon or this point forward. It's all through your spirit. Illumine hearts, awaken hearts, regenerate hearts, give new birth so that eyes would be opened, so that whosoever may call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, stir in hearts today faith and repentance. Right now, in seats, right now, may people who know this conviction, may they, people who are thinking about this, being stirred about this, may they not delay right now and trust in you now. And Lord, for your people already in Christ, sanctify them through this word, wash them by the water of the word, give them great peace and hope in a faithful God who glories in himself, and that's good news for us. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen.